Amen, amen. Welcome to Christ Church this morning, and you can grab a seat and get a copy of, uh, of God's Word uh, in front of you, open to Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be there for a while in Matthew chapter 5, so you could pretty much just assume uh, any week in the coming few months that you come here, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we're continuing our Kingdom Culture series and uh, just kind of journeying through this Sermon on the Mount, and uh, you know, the in the first two Beatitudes, we, we learned about the fact that Christ called us to be poor in spirit. And then last week, he said, blessed are those who mourn. And so um, another truth, if you, if you thought it was going to get easier, it's not. If you thought it was going to get less challenging, it's not. Um, there's another challenge coming today in this verse that is going to require that the truth of God is louder than the voices or the truth of our culture. It's going to come right up against that. It's going to require a faith rooted in Jesus. Uh, Again, remember that kingdom culture is not formed by your own effort, but by the transforming work of the Spirit of God that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ, that comes from abiding in Christ. And so this morning, the only way that, that this character trait, this, this um, attribute of kingdom culture can be formed in us is through a gracious work of God. And so let me just pray for God to come through the power of his grace and his spirit and work powerfully. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the way that you're leading and directing our church in this season. For a truth that as uh, we try to bring it to bear on our own hearts, we just recognize our deep need for you. And so we're here this morning with the word opened, wanting to learn from you. Would you work graciously in the words that I communicate about this truth and would you let it come to bear on our hearts and begin the work of transformation for your glory and for the formation of a kingdom culture in and through our church. We're asking for that. It's in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Makaroi, ahoy, prares, hoti, atoy, Clerane me susin tain gain. It's Matthew. If you're wondering, like, was he just speaking some more weird language? Is it like speaking in tongues? Yes, those are other tongues. It was the original Greek for a Matthew 5.5. Given our culture, especially today, I believe this is how foreign this beatitude is to our ears. The word at the center of this verse is the word meek. This word is um, ridiculously unfamiliar to our world and to our culture. In a nation famous for stirring up its people for, uh, uh, to, to, to fight for freedom and rights at every point, I wrestled this week with, is it even possible to salvage any sense of meekness in our culture? Like, where is it, God? I wrestled with, with, with the weight of can a culture get to the point where the, where the kind of the customs and the traditions and the language and the tone and the attitude get so locked in another direction that it becomes impossible or very difficult to even hear the truth of God's word. 
Can, 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 can the word or an aspect or a part of God's word become so foreign to the bent of our spirit and our flesh? Uh, can we become so defensive against the biblical truth that we actually are going to struggle to receive it more than maybe in other places? Last week we spoke about mourning, and in that message I felt the weight of intersecting the truth of God, intersecting with your your, your pain and your struggle and your loss. I felt it. I saw it on your faces. This week, the weight comes from knowing that the, the sinful, sort of the fallen part of you, uh, also conditioned by our fallen culture, is going to fight every step of the way. I know it. Even personally, like anyone who knows me or, or, or the bent of my personality is probably rightly kind of laughing inside right now, maybe in anticipation of this message as you saw the passage that was coming and you were like, Pastor Brian is about to preach a message on meekness. I hope he's listening to himself. If you thought that, it's okay. That's actually what I thought when I saw this passage in front of me this week. I'll be the first to confess that this is a place of weakness, not a place of consistent victory, but I am committed to wrestling. I'm committed to take my life before the Lordship of Jesus Christ and go, Jesus, I want what you want, not what my bent is. I want what you want, not what maybe has become a pattern of my life in different ways. And I, and I believe this, and I'm going to submit to this because I've committed to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, which means I submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I know also that it's not just like this power play of God, it's a loving move of God because a flourishing life only comes by appropriating kingdom culture. And so I want this for you and for me. So let's look at this verse in full, first time, this time in English. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Remember our beatitude principles in the series. They'll be up on the screen again just to reiterate this. Blessed should be translated flourishing. And flourishing comes from actively and regularly being with Jesus, not from doing right actions. You flourish when you have a beatitude. An attitude dependent on being with Christ. And what we mean by being with Jesus or being with Christ is hearing from his word, communing with him in prayer, and yielding to the leading of his spirit. Then you will manifest these beatitudes and find a flourishing life marked by kingdom culture. That's what it means in this word blessed. Jesus is repeating it again for a reason. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Meek, this, this word, it's important that we get our heads wrapped around this word because it's, it's, it's going to be key for us to be able to identify it and understand what God's trying to produce in us by his grace. Um, the word meek, later in Matthew, is often translated as a gentle or humble. Those are synonyms that capture the idea of this word. And so let me just take a swing at uh, capturing the beauty and the challenge of this word. Here it is. Meek is the character trait of a person whose heart is resting in the security of the presence, the provision, and promises of God. 
Meek is the character trait of a person whose heart is resting in the security of the presence, the provision, and the promises of God. Meekness grows in you when you deny your flesh, you turn, from your, you turn your focus away from self, and you learn to rest in the presence, provision, and promises of God found in Christ. Listen, listen, it is an, it is an act of faith. It is a taking hold of what Jesus has presented to you in his work, in his ministry, in his message, in, in, in his a move to the, to the cross and then his resurrection. It's an act of faith. And the big idea for this message is this. Rest in gospel hope to mature in meekness. So what does that look like? What does it look like to rest in gospel hope? There's two aspects of, of hope, of gospel hope, that reveal both the hope of the gospel and produce the fruit of meekness. So let's look at them, two of them. First one is this, rest in the gentleness of Christ. Here we are again in this series, sort of um, needing to affirm some realities about the person of Jesus Christ. Because a B attitude is putting us in proximity to, in relationship to Christ. And so now because of that, we need to make sure we have a clear understanding of the character of Christ. To to, to produce meekness, for that to mature in your life, you have to know Christ's heart, you have to learn his heart, and through the Spirit, have his heart become your heart. And Jesus reveals his heart in Matthew Chapter 11, verses 29 through 30. Notice what what, um, Jesus says here to his followers. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can see the, 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 the reality of, of Christ's character and rest beginning to come together. The word for gentle is the same word in Matthew 5, 5, translated as meek. The heart of Jesus is gentle or meek and lowly. It's the only place in the New Testament where there's any aspect of specificity about the, the very character of Christ's heart. Right here. And it's not just uh, uh, written by someone. It's written by, it's, it's what Christ proclaimed himself. These two words, gentle and lowly. One of the most um, transformative, encouraging, helpful books to me that I've read in the past probably five years is a book by Dane Ortland titled Gentle and Lowly. So I already gave you a bit of a clue on what his book's about. Um, phenomenally helpful, uh, highly recommended for anyone in our church to read that book. In one chapter, he's commenting on the heart of Christ, the character of Christ, and he's specifically applying it, the reality of this, to a Christ attitude or his character toward his followers, and he writes this, Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh, He's not reactionary. He's not easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. Gosh. Let that wash over our understanding of Christ and his heart. 
Notice the invitation earlier in the passage in verse 28 of Matthew 11. It's where Jesus is beckoning. Before he reveals the character of his heart, he beckons his followers to come to him. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's the connection. He's inviting you to rest, and then within the context of his revealed heart to you, that he's gentle and lowly, he's like, when you understand my heart, when that is your understanding and the way that you approach me, rightly understanding my character towards you. He's like, that's where you find rest. And, and you'll, you will not be meek if your soul does not find itself to a place where it's resting in the gentleness of Christ. Dane Ortland again, he powerfully makes the connection here. Read again with me. You don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. You don't find it, he gives it to you. His rest is is gift, not transaction. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness, labor. That's something you've been doing this week. You've been like, I'm going to get the smooth labor, or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside of your control, heavy laden. Think some of the people in Florida this week, heavy laden. Something completely outside of their control. Jesus Christ's desire that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm, outstrips even your own. We've got to learn to rest in Christ, to mature in meekness, we cannot misunderstand his heart. You know, one of the, one of the most, um, one of the biggest kind of blessings of being a pastor is that over time you just get to hear people's stories, honestly. And there's a part of that that is, um, as people tell their stories, they're uh, sometimes tragic, sometimes heartbreaking, sometimes encouraging, and sometimes just kind of funny, honestly. And one of the things I love as I'm getting to hear people's stories is I, as I love when I'm talking to a married couple, and I love to hear the story about how they met and what led them to getting married. Too often though, um, even in my own story, you'll hear about a misperception or a misunderstanding that almost ended the relationship. Any of you got any stories like that? It's a misperception, a misunderstanding that happened early in the relationship and one or one of the people in the relationship was like, I don't know, I really don't know. Based on that action, that activity, that word that was said, and in the insecurity of a relationship at the beginning, Uh, If a perception is formed that's wrong, if not corrected, it could threaten the whole relationship. And trust me, there were hundreds with my wife, Amy, where she was like, yeah, really not sure about him. I had to navigate through a few situations or things I said or did that I had to correct some misperceptions. She had to kind of inform me, help me out a bit. She was very patient with me. And even now in our marriage, like we navigate through misperceptions and misunderstandings all the time, don't we, married couples in the room? We navigate through those. And, and if, we don't, if we don't correct those misperceptions or misunderstandings, if we don't get to the bottom of them, they can threaten the goodness of our relationship. But what helps us navigate through the storms is our confidence in what we know about each other's heart. Now, I hear the testimonies all the time of people's perceptions about Jesus 
and how they've been formed by past teaching. Some of you have been raised in environments that highlighted the judgment of God, focused on the law of God, rules for, for, for everything to, to sort of earn God's approval and the approval of the leaders that represented God. Obedience without relationship and, and spiritual formation motivated by guilt and shame. And if that was the dominant emphasis early on as you were perceiving and understanding the heart of Christ, if that in any way has been formed or misunderstood through the teaching or any aspect of our church, hear me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way that may have caused a distance or a way of operating around Jesus that is the furthest thing from what he revealed about his own heart. Misunderstanding and misperception about the heart of Jesus, if not corrected, will threaten, will threaten, is threatening the goodness of your relationship with Christ. And what it will do is it won't, it won't just wreck your understanding of Christ, it will literally stunt the maturity of meekness in your life. Mature in meekness by resting in the gentleness of Christ. Be amazed by his love for you. Like, just sit there. Just sit there. You have no, not, nothing you need to do except just to receive it by faith because of what Christ has already done for you. Every time you commune with God, every time you meet with him, remember that he's always ready to receive you. He's ready to receive you in his grace, fully and completely ready at any point to give you his full attention, to hear you, to listen to you, to comfort you, to lead you. His heart is, is not for you to just like read words on the page of a Bible. His heart is to transform you as you're listening to his living word. His heart is not for you to just pray some empty phrases because you think that that's what you need to do to like show him reverence. His heart for you is to engage in conversation with your loving father who always know, already knows that you can't even understand to the full extent of his glory and goodness. He's gentle and lowly in heart. Meditate on that central truth. He's gentle and lowly. He's gentle and lowly. Meekness will only be formed in you and then pervasive in the culture of our church if you rest in the gentleness of Christ. Know his heart, love his heart, and rest in the work of his heart for you through the power of his spirit. That's his presence. Then his provision and promises also give us rest that matures meekness. And that leads us to our second aspect of rest. Rest in the security of your inheritance. The meek aren't just anchored by the, the, the presence and the promises and the provision of God right now, but also the hope of perfect presence, perfect provision, and promises that are perfectly fulfilled when the new heavens and the new earth are established for eternity at the second coming of Christ. Like, like, here, listen, listen. The second that your faith begins to take hold of gospel hope, 
Meekness is being matured in you. The second, to the duration that you hold it, to the the extent that, that your faith is taking hold of this gospel hope, at that point, that is literally uh, the way that God is, is, is maturing meekness in you. Because when you take hold of gospel hope, what you're taking hold of is security. You're taking hold of security. And, and this is seen so vividly in Psalm 37, and so we're going to put it up on the screen for you, because I want you to see the connection between rest and peace, land and earth, and meekness that is in this psalm. Many uh, have said that this is the Old Testament parallel to Matthew 5.5, 5. so check it out. You'll see it yourself. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Do you see it right there? In, in, in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. It's easy at this point to understand why many believe that Jesus was thinking about Psalm 37 when he communicated Matthew 5.5. Can't you see it? It's like right there. It's almost one for one. And he shared this beatitude. He's encouraging. He's like, you can still be, you can be still and wait patiently for God only by putting your hope in what God is going to do. What I love about the scriptures here is it's not, it's not um, foreign to our reality. Like we live in these realities where we're we're fretting with the with the evil and the and the things that happen to our, in our lives and, and there's this fretting over our own lives and our own consequences of our sin and other people's sin and the fallenness of the world and right here in the midst of that it's like those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The land is the new heavens and the new earth. It's what God's bringing. It's what God's going to bring to fullness in time, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. That's the picture of the meek. The meek inherit the earth because the meekness is the character trait of the person whose faith is rooted in God's promises and his provision now and fully in the future. And followers of Christ, we we have the opportunity through the work of what God is doing in our lives and in other people, we can literally see the kingdom of God starting to break into our world. But, but our image of that is, is, as the Bible says, it's dim. It's not, it's not crystal clear. But it's enough to give us hope. It's enough to give us hope. That's the future hope. That's the earth that's going to be inherited. And so as a result of that vision, result of faith taking hold of gospel hope, notice they rest and they stop fretting. Anyone think we need a little bit more resting and less fretting in our world today? Slightly applicable. Yeah, hallelujah would be the right reference. They see God at work, the meek do. And what I want to make really clear here is this. I hope you see it from this passage and from Matthew 5, 5. Um, do not allow weak to become a synonym for weak, for meek. It is, they are not even close. 
Those who are meek are actually playing from a tremendous amount of strength. Their life is rooted in strength. They're delighting themselves in abundant peace. If you're delighting yourself in abundant peace, is that not the strongest position to have? Like you're like, nah, God's got it. My hope is so rooted in the next life and what I see God doing already. So I'm just over here delighting in abundant peace. Y'all fretting over there. Like chill out on the fretting. Like I, I'm going to rest in abundant peace and meekness leads to abundant peace. And so I want to illustrate this. I got some help from our, our band just to pull out something because I want to make this picture as clear as possible. And so they're just going to kind of set this scene up and then um, I'm going to, let's just thank them. There, You guys are great. There are, um, there are two pictures being played out here. Two pictures. One is over here. This is the person who understands meekness. The person who understands meekness is literally resting, resting in the inheritance that they have in the gospel. And they're sitting and they're surrounded and they're observing that, you know what? Because of what Christ has done, over here I know that I've got his presence. His presence. I've got his presence because of what Christ has done. I've got his presence because of his death on the cross and all of my sin that could get in the way of my relationship with Jesus. Like, like God has made all of that um, in his forgiveness and reconciliation allow me to draw near to God. I can have his presence. Then I can have his provision that he can supply my life with a peace, that there's nothing that I tied up that he cannot resolve. And so I'm not fretting here because I, my provision is from God and um, I'm, I'm meditating on this provision and then his promises. I, I hold on to these in times when uh, there's something coming into my life that, that, is, that is difficult or hard or weighty and I'm like, you know what, I'm holding on to gospel hope here. Holding on to gospel hope. And because we have four gifts, I need another piece. So let's just go with God's power. God's power. I have the Spirit of God within me. Like He counsels me and He empowers me to these things. And he illuminates the Scriptures and He reminds me of truth about who God is. Again and again. And when I'm sitting here, this is meek. This is why it's not weak. They're sitting, strengthened by everything that God has offered us in gospel truth. So you can choose to sit here or you can remain over here as um, those who are not meek. This is a, a bowl of dirt, of dust, you might say. And the Bible says that, that, that the reality of our lives is that we are dust and we're going to return to dust. And so you can stay over there, or if you want to not be meek, what you can do is you can be like, I'm going to make something out of my life. You can fret over it and be like, trust me, I'm forming something. It's going to be amazing. And you're like fretting over it, and you're like, ta-da. This is, this, is this is what a focus on self looks like. Like, like I'm, just, I'm trying to make something out of my life. And we do this in the context of the church, too. I'm trying to form my character to be like Christ, and I'm trying so hard. And that's what I'm producing. 
It's no wonder that the edge to our life, when we're trying to form and make something significant out of our lives, causes fretting and anger and frustration because it's just dirt. Over here, I can rest because I'm trying to make something. I'm trying to promote the God who's so worthy to be promoted. And I'm resting in him. I want to stay there where meekness is formed. And I want you to be there also. I've, I've, as I've been meditating on this and thinking about it, I've been um, deeply, deeply convicted by how remaining here versus there produces security in my heart. And there's two examples. First, first is security for my heart, and then the second one we'll get to in a second. First, security for my heart, security for your heart. There's no security when your heart is focused on self. Do you see it, church? Like, the prideful heart is always insecure because self is trying to promote something that's not worth promoting. So it's no wonder that those who are not meek are are defensive and are sort of uh, trying to justify themselves and their heart is fretting over everything that comes against them or, or, or any aspect of the world that doesn't line up with their intentions or their desires. And when you're consumed... With, with a focus on yourself, you respond in insecurity. You respond out of insecurity. And if, and if self gets the focus and the attention, your meekness will be stunted. But when you stop trying to promote self, <laughs> and because your life is consumed with the glory of God and the beauty of the gospel, Love for self is sort of burned away. And you're just like, meekness starts to mature because you develop a strength that's rooted in your inheritance. And as I was processing through this for my heart and for your heart this week, what I realized is that when I sit here, this is the antidote for anxiety. Notice in the psalm how many times it referred to fretting and anger and it doesn't provide anything good. The antidote for anxiety is resting in your inheritance. There's strength here that I don't have to produce on my own. It's security for your heart. It's also this, church, it's security for your relationships. I hope this part will, will be a blessing and encouragement to your marriage, to, uh, to your parenting, to your role as a friend. When you're living with a me attitude instead of a be attitude over here, relationships are going to be insecure. Okay? Let me just kind of unpack this for you. Uh, tr- try to love people from here. If, if you're trying to establish something out of nothing, that, is that not the most insecure place to operate from? And so if you're operating from here, if you're trying to love from here, if you're trying to produce love from here for someone else, it is going to be a constant uh, a, a frustration and anxiety that's going to be produced. Because you, 
all you can do, and this is what happens in relationships, all you can do is go, hey, 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 look what I formed. I I need you to cheer on this. This is what the world does. The only way they can find security is to find a bunch of other people around them forming the same thing foolishly and going, hey, let's just encourage one another. Right? Like that's what the world does all the time. And, and so what we have here is when you're operating from here, you're operating from a constant deficit. And so because of that, you're going to be constantly needy, easily threatened, because you have nothing of significance and you feel it and you need others' affirmation to continue to manage and maintain the image of security. And it's all an illusion. And so if it feels insecure to you, um, 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 it is. And no amount of surrounding yourself with people, no amount of trying to fight for belief and affirmation from the culture will change the fact that it's an illusion. But from here, watch this picture painted. From here, your one eternally secure relationship with God secures all other relationships. From here, you operate from an overflow. You operate in relationships from an overflow. When it gets secure out there in relationships, you bring your heart back here. You don't try to manage a goodness and rightness in the relationship out here. You go back and you get filled up with the goodness of that one eternal secure relationship with God and then that prepares you then to simply enter into relationships to promote God's glory from a place of security and strength. And when you operate from here in relationships, here's what I promise you and what I've observed in my own life. One, you navigate conflict differently. Do you, do, you, do, you know what, do you know what it's called when um, two people, both who are carrying a tremendous amount of insecurity and a deficit, try to enter into conflict? Do you know what that's called? A disaster. When one or both, preferably both, operate from a place of security in Christ, there's an insane amount and degree of conflict that can be resolved beautifully. You, you, when, you're, when you're playing from here, disappointment is navigated differently. Uh, differences are navigated differently. Again, th- th- think about, think about uh, how awesome it is to be in relationship with someone who has, and here's the anxiety thing again coming up, somebody who has what I would call a sort of non-anxious presence. Have you ever been around somebody that like, like I've had moments when I've uh, had a, a moment of fear or anxiety or even shame, and you get around somebody who's operating from here, oh my goodness. They're not like, oh my goodness, what did you just do? They're like, let's go to Christ. I'll walk with you. I'm living from there. Their, 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 their tone towards you, their attitude towards you is an overflow. It's an antidote to anxiety. God is teaching me so much about meekness. I'm thinking and processing and I'm convicted about how I walk with people who believe differently than me. 
I believe, of the church for too long because even our morality and our need to defend our morality in the public sphere has become such that we're operating from here, not from here. And it's caused literally for the church of Jesus Christ to have this like tension of like, how do I deal with the world? How do I, how do I, how do I operate around people who believe differently than me? And I know some of you are in it week after week, day after day, more than me. I get that. I, I understand that. I acknowledge that. Students in public schools and, and, and many of you working in, in places where you don't even know what's coming at you or where that person's coming from. And we engage these people and... And there is a lack of love and care that I see too often from the church. If you're experiencing anger or frustration from anyone in that category, you are not being meek. There is a part of what God wants to convict you of, of how to rest in the gentleness of Christ in your inheritance. Jesus calls us to be meek towards all people, especially if they're living in opposition to God and his word. And we're going to see a call that Jesus is going to give us later on in the Sermon on the Mount that's only going to reinforce that. If you know the heart of Christ, your heart should be to know the person, to love the person, and show the love of Christ to the person. I'm not saying in any way that we compromise on what Jesus has taught us, but our posture is that I am doing what Jesus has called me to because my life is resting here. I didn't do the right thing over here to get to that chair. Don't get those out of order. If you know the heart of Christ, meekness is what allows you in the world to show them a strength that the world cannot provide. This, this reality of meekness, the more that I've thought about it and meditated and prayed for it in my own heart and soul, is such a loud, clear proclamation of the gospel. You can't be threatened when you're resting in, and you have this meekness being produced in you and you're resting in the gospel and you're resting in your inheritance. So I want us to sit here. I want us to learn to sit in this, in this place of contentment. Church, I want us to work from here. I want us to think from here. I want us to relate to people from here. Parents, I want you to parent from here, not over there. Trust me, I've tried it. Be like, I'm doing awesome as a parent. And your kids are like, it's not be because of what you're doing. And it's really clear. I want us to love from here. In our homes and in our workplaces and in our church. There's powerful unity found here. And I want to rest in the security of your inheritance. When you rightly understand the heart of Christ, it doesn't just change how you approach God. It changes how you approach other people. That's a part of meekness and why God's calling us to mature in it. Rest in the security of your inheritance, security for your heart, security for your relationships. I mean, already, if you're left feeling already in these, in this Sermon on the Mount series, like, God, I cannot produce this in my, by, on my own. Like, He's already called us, has said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Then he's blessed are those who mourn. And today, blessed are those who are meek. That's where flourishing is. He's calling you to come to him. 
He's leaving you with no devices of which you can form this in yourself or there's no thing you can offer to him. You have nothing to bring. Nothing to bring. You're broken and needy because of the fall and now he's called you to be meek. And I would just encourage you this morning to rest in gospel hope to mature in meekness. He's offered you in Christ and in the gospel everything. Rest in the gentleness of Christ. That's his presence. Rest in the security of your inheritance. That is his provision and promises. And press into these truths. Ask God to form your heart here. I've asked the band to come now and and they're going to sing a song over us in just a few moments. And I, I just want you in this in this uh, space to just close your Bibles and just sort of sit back in your chair like you're all sitting in a chair, okay? So I already got this for you. You're already set up. And I want you to, to literally uh, begin to pray at God is present in, in, in this room right now and he loves you. And he wants to draw near to you. Ask the Spirit to convict you of places where there's immaturity and meekness. Ask God to mature that in you. Ask God to come and, and to, to remind you to, to find your security regularly each and every day, multiple times during the day. Thank him as the song is sung over us for the security he does bring. We're not left without hope. Take this time. Find your soul just resting for a few moments. Let's practice this. Come to be filled as this song is sung, as the truth of Christ is declared over you. Receive it by faith. Let's do that now.